Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, my name is Sonali Tare, Senior Director of Content Experience with Cornet Global. And we're here today with Christina Banks and Sally Augustin to talk about the hybrid workforce. Before we begin, Christina and Sally, could I have you introduce yourselves briefly? Sure, I'll go ahead and start. Christina Banks, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley. I am on the faculty of the Haas Business School and I also direct the Interdisciplinary Center for Healthy Workplaces. I'm Sally Augustine. I'm an applied environmental psychologist and I'm affiliated with the Interdisciplinary Center for Healthy Workplaces that Christina just mentioned. And I also have my own consulting firm where I work with people designing places or objects or services. And I make design related recommendations to them based on neuroscience research. Thank you. Jumping right into our conversation. You both say that collaboration is the secret sauce for a successful hybrid workplace. I'm gonna ask you a few questions about that in just a minute, but first, could you tell me a little bit about how you both began to collaborate? Sure, I'll go ahead. So I've always been interested in collaboration throughout my career because I've always been interested in learning about things outside of my field of study. So when I started running the Interdisciplinary Center for Healthy Workplaces, it was a natural to reach out to other experts who knew something about employee health and well-being. Since our mission was to integrate all known science across disciplines to understand what makes a healthy workplace and how to promote employee health and well-being, I reached out to Sally. I read her book, Place Advantage, and was so impressed by that saying, wow, this is a whole area I don't know anything about. So I called her up and then I'll let Sally take it from there. Well, I mean, we've been uh, working together ever since, you know, Christina read my first book, Place Advantage, and a couple of years ago, I published my third book. So, you know, we've been together a while now, but all my work has always been interdisciplinary and collaborative because the kinds of complex projects I work on require input from a number of of fields. It's just natural to work with other people. And I remember, Sally, sitting down with you in a booth at Wellness at Work, and I believe it was Copenhagen or was it Amsterdam? So we sat down and had this fantastic conversation about what you knew and and what I knew, and it just seemed like such a natural collaboration. And, And really, that's how collaborations start, is that you need somebody who you don't know and comes from a different perspective, and suddenly you have this conversation where you see all these different ways that you could intersect and grow what you know by what they know. So it's been a great ride. And I really appreciate Shelley's collaboration with us. That's a great story. And Amsterdam is such a fantastic city. I'm quite envious. So why do you think collaboration is important? I know you went into that a little bit while you talked about how you would began to collaborate, but any further thoughts on that? 
Well, I mean, you know, you can only know uh, so much material. You can only be the master of so much information. You can only know about so many different studies and have so many different practical experiences. So, you know, when you're um, trying to solve complex problems, like think about, you know, workplace design of the future or something like that, you really need to work with people with other sorts of backgrounds in order to develop a, a rich, nuanced solution to whatever wicked problem you're trying to resolve. Yeah, I would like to follow that up and note something that I have observed over the years that I've been working with people outside my field. With a graduate education, you are actually honed into a specific perspective with, I would say, certain values and certain ideas and principles, and you get really deep into it. And you're rewarded for being able to say those things back to your advisors and your committee. And, and you just get really deep into this groove of what you know, and that's, that's the world. And when you get advanced in your career, you realize that it's pretty limited and there are strengths and weaknesses to your field, things that you know a lot about. And then there's a lot of stuff you don't know about. And when you start trying to solve real world, world problems, you realize your weaknesses really count and that there's a whole lot of information you don't know. So cross-disciplinary information exchange really opens up brand new opportunities for you to understand a problem. That's actually the basis of creativity and innovation. That is to interact with people you don't know who can bring a totally different perspective to a problem, and it will open up insights into the problem that you never considered. And what I have observed most about collaborating with people is that your strengths in your field actually complement the strengths of other fields, and more important, it actually fills in the missing information that other fields have that you can actually complement and actually create bigger understanding. So strengths of one field can compensate for weaknesses in another. And suddenly you've got a lot of expertise that you can bring to a problem. That certainly was the case with Sally. I knew nothing about the built environment. That wasn't part of my training, but I know a lot about how people work and what they need to be able to do their best work. So when we started talking together, we figured out how it fits together. Sounds like quite the natural match. Going a little deeper into this, can you give me an example of how collaboration capitalizes on the strengths of different disciplines? And has this happened to you both? Yeah, I mean, I'm always working with people with different areas of expertise. Um, you know, often I'm working with a designer of some sort, could be an architect, an interior designer, an industrial designer, a graphic designer, you know, but I also find myself working with people like human resource professionals, more general management types, etc. You know, that's the way the projects in the real world actually happen and move forward. So I can't think of a project where I've only you know, worked with other environmental psychologists. All my work is with other types of professionals, whether they're you know, social scientists, scientists, designers, managers, management types of some sort, you know, et cetera. That's just 
the way that work gets done. That's the way things are accomplished. Yeah, I will also give you an example where Sally and I wrote a piece together for an architectural firm that wanted to focus on creativity and innovation. Sally wrote the part about how to design spaces for creativity and innovation. And I wrote about how creativity and innovation can be nurtured organizationally. So together we could provide the right environment, built environment and the right organizational environment to support creativity and innovation. And one of the things that I realized personally in writing this piece with Sally is that in order to stimulate creativity and innovation, you have to associate people who don't know each other. So seating arrangements actually could be key in how people share information. It's called the next bench effect, which is if you sit people close to each other who have different perspectives and you're working on the same problem, you end up getting insights about the problem because you're sharing information outside your perspective. So writing this book together actually made the whole bigger than the sum of the parts. And that's really what we want. Our problems are so complex today. We really need to have holistic solutions. And when you have holistic solutions, frankly, you have to go outside your field. You have to get outside your comfort zone and listen to other people and learn from them. That's great. Collaboration is something we hear more and more or have been hearing really more and more when it comes to corporate real estate and, you know, corporate real estate professionals as well. There is a need like never before you've seen with the pandemic in terms of CRE having to and needing to collaborate with multiple disciplines. So why do you think collaboration is important for CRE professionals? Well, it's important for CRE professionals because they're trying to create the sort of workplaces where people thrive and develop places where people uh, perform to their full potential, live the lives they want to live, etc. And they're trying to develop those places in the actual real world, which is quite complicated. You know, you have all sorts of factors that come into play, determining, you know, how being in a specific space or using a particular object influences what goes on in people's heads, you know, how they think and behave. So, you know, the sorts of problems that CRE professionals need to resolve require input from a number of fields. Yeah, and, and POEs are an important part of figuring out how to make a built environment really work for the tenants. And I'm sure that one of the major selling points in a lease or in any kind of arrangement with tenants is about uh, how productive and engaged the, the occupants, namely employees, are going to be in that space. And POEs can tell you, you know, what's working and what isn't. So sometimes what I've been learning is that it, a built environment can be great from the point of view of how it looks and how it theoretically ought to be operating. Uh, what's the behavior and emotions that people ought to have in that space? But it actually doesn't work that way, that people don't have what they need in order to be most productive or to be most engaged in their work. So it takes knowing about what people need in those spaces but even talking to people saying, you know, what would you like in this space? What do you need in the space? Sometimes they don't know. So you need to have people who understand how people work, what motivates people, what are their core needs, how to satisfy those needs in order to help build the spaces 
that are going to be so important. So, you know, I could name the partners that need to come together before the building is built. HR, Sally already mentioned HR, how she works with HR. But the thing about HR is that they know how to attract quality talent to the organization. They know a lot about people, what people want and what they need to work effectively. They know how to measure people's work needs, and they know what kind of company culture will keep employees engaged. Psychologists know how to motivate people at high levels and what gets in the way of engagement. Recently, I've learned anthropologists are great at diagnosing the culture and figuring out what factors will actually promote a healthy culture. Occupational health has been in the middle of the whole employee health and well-being trends and trying to understand what are the job stressors and how to reduce the stressors. More recently, how to promote good factors in the workplace. One more, human factors and ergonomists spend a lot of time figuring out what's the equipment and how to get people to move more in the workplace. So for a workplace to really work, it takes a lot of input from these different experts in order to make it work best for people. And I think if you can do that, you'll have a win-win for CRE and for their tenants. Sally, do you have anything you want to add to that? You know, I think I had had a chance to introduce my field earlier. We're active contributors to the sorts of discussions that Chris is talking about. Environmental psychologists think about how aspects of the physical environment, you know, sensory experiences, for example, affect how people think and behave, how they perform. You know, and we don't just consider those sensory experiences, those sensory inputs alone. We think about how factors such as personality, organizational culture, national culture, opportunities for control, comfortable control, nonverbal signaling, you know, all sorts of other factors influence the ultimate effect that design has on what goes on in people's heads. One of the areas that CRE is now heavily invested in and and talking about and debating is technology, Uh, what technology is being put into buildings like occupancy monitors and environmental quality controls and even Wi-Fi and social networking platforms and other communications technology. So what's important here is to know what human-centered technology needs to be put into that uh, workplace. And not every piece of technology is human-centered. We have an assumption that every piece of technology that comes out is actually good for us. But we already know that a number of harms can result from laptops and keyboards and mice, cell phones, ill-fitting ergonomic furniture. And the one thing that people complain about is unreliable Wi-Fi. So we really need to partner with technologists, the developers, and also the implementers of technology so that it really does maintain the health and well-being of people in that environment and prevents harm in the form of disability or in sickness and uh, injury. So if we don't partner, uh, we're going to go back to pandemic. And maybe we can start talking about the hybrid situation because that has brought a lot of things uh, to the surface. Absolutely. I think it's fascinating. You know, when we talk about CRE collaboration, we usually hear about you know, collaborating with HR and IT alone from a space perspective. But 
I love that both of you brought in all these different elements, even to something like technology, which, which a lot of CRE professionals try to keep an eye on from a data analytics point of view and sensors. But the interesting aspect that you brought in about what harm can some of those technologies uh, do, I think that's, uh, that's a great point. H&I Global is a leading global provider of workplace furnishings and residential building products. A collective of brands, including Allsteel, Gunlock, Han, and others, come together to provide a full portfolio of solutions, allowing H&I to serve as a single-stop solution, no matter your company's size, price point, or design expectations. Learn more about H&I's process and people at hniglobal.com. But also to your point, moving on to our hybrid conversation, how can this collaborative approach be helpful in, in a hybrid situation? And that's something we're seeing more and more of as we move from you know, the pandemic work from home situation that we've all been in to possibly moving back into the workplace. Well, I'll jump in here because I've been writing about and thinking about hybrid work schedules and you know, kind of what it's going to look like when people return to the office, return to the work site. And when you give people the option of coming in or staying home or working in an alternate place, you have kind of lost control of your workforce. And most importantly, you have lost control of what that cohesion looks like. And that is a, a very important aspect of worker productivity and most especially about creativity and innovation. So here's the problem. It's a logistical nightmare, I believe. You're dealing with varying numbers of people on site and different people coming in on site on any given day. So if you think of, about people as interchangeable parts, you won't lose any sleep over that. However, that is not really the case. People wanna come back in order to get something that they don't have or can't experience when they're working from home. And key part of that is socializing and collaborating and developing relationships and having one-on-ones with their bosses and being able to do problem solving in person because you can't really do it virtually. We try, but it's, it's not that good. So, the question is, who comes back when? And can we curate that to a point where we get friend groups together on the same day and we, we get teams together on the same day? And, you know, here's a wild idea. Bring people together who might need to be introduced to each other and have an information exchange outside of a field to stimulate thinking on a problem. Okay, so you, you get the point. So how can we think about that? Well, two things I'll, I'll bring up. One is we've got to build for a home base for people who come back to work and to also build spaces that are flexible to expand and contract as people want to collaborate or have meetings or socialize or have focus. We can't have hard boundaries around space because we don't know how many are coming or when or who or you know whatever. So flexibility is going to be the key. So the issue of a home base means that we create some consistency 
with where people are in the organization when they come back to work. They're going to lose their desk because real estate is shrinking or it's going to be repurposed. And so if you designate an area like a neighborhood that people belong to, they can come in, in, in and out of that neighborhood, but at least it's an area that, that they can identify with. And people like to personalize, so personalize the area. So there are two things that I think that are going to really make that an important way of allowing people to adjust to a hybrid situation. One, giving them a feeling of owning a space and having lots of space and space options where they can do what they missed when they were working remotely. Sally, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think that a lot, a lot of people are concerned about hybrid situations, hybrid solutions, and they really don't need to get quite so worked up, you know, from 2019 to now, you know, brains are brains, people are people. Often I'm finding when people actually look at how they were working, say in 2019, and compare it to what they plan for their hybrid work environment, they find that they already had lots of people splitting their time between home and work before. Sometimes even in the, um, or often even in the, you know, three days in the office, two days at home, a situation that often gets discussed in terms of hybrid working environments. And when we're Talking about people's, you know, return to work and we're thinking about things like creating uh, zones for different activities. That's really just a continuation of the drive towards activity-based working that's been underway for some time. Or, you know, for a long time, we've been creating zones for teams so that they bond and become more cohesive. So, you know, that will continue. For a long time, workplaces have been uh, becoming spaces where people are more apt to do collaborative work and less likely to do any sort of individual work that requires concentration or focus. We're seeing that trend continue, but it doesn't have to feel scary because it's a, a trend that was already underway in, in 2019. And I think you have to keep in mind that people have the same sort of motivations, goals now they've had since beginning of our working time, you know, eons and eons ago when we were a young species. People have three fundamental motivations. They want to be good at whatever they're endeavoring to do. This is in psych tech terms known as competence. Work environments, you know, have needed to support people in the behaviors that ways of thinking, etc., that lead them to do their jobs well. Jobs have the same um, fundamental objectives now as they did before, you know, so, you know, people already have something of a handle on how workplaces can help people be competent. People, humans need to feel that they have a comfortable level of control over their life experiences. For a number of years, we've been talking about how to give people options, control, you know, when they work. That's one of the reasons why activity-based working has become so popular because it, it actually works when people can choose where they are. They perform better. Activity-based working was being being implemented for quite some time. It's going to continue in this hybrid world. The third or motivation that people have is to be with others that they wish to be with when they desire to be with them, which the tech term for this is relatedness. You know, so people have a drive to be good at whatever they're up to, have some control over their own existence, 
and to have some connections to other humans that they value. And as I was mentioning before, for a very long time, workplaces have been evolving into spaces for um, collaboration and uh, social interaction, often at the expense of, you know, there's only so much space. So if you use, you know, more of it for collaboration, there's less of it for solo individual focus type work. So, you know, if, if, you, if you think about the core principles that were guiding your workplace efforts in 2019, there will continue to be factors that are important as you look into the future. Yeah, and that's, that's really important to note, those three basic needs that people have had for eons. And the, I've heard some nightmare stories where people are coming back to work and because of safety concerns, they go to their offices, shut the door, and they do their focus work and communicate with people virtually. And they, why do they come to work to do that? They could be well, home. because they can't work at home. <laughs> well, yeah, some people, correct. Uh, so there may be a third alternative is really what's needed. And of course, people are in real estate are talking about co-working spaces. Right. Or, I mean, yeah. and there has been some good results with co-working spaces over the years. Neighborhood type work areas aren't as regional work areas aren't as supported by the research because often sorts of people that uh, individuals who frequent those locations need to work with, you know, aren't actually physically present there. But, you know, if, if we think about, you know, what drives people, why they're living, what, what their motivations are. You know, we find consistencies, you know, ac across time that are useful. Yeah. So what we've learned uh, also through the pandemic is that people want a better set of working conditions when they return to the office. They don't want to go back to the high stress, high demand, uh, long work hours, Kind of situation and be exposed to a virus. So I think employee expectations are actually pushing companies to change their game and focus more on employee health and well-being with whatever way they can do that in a convincing way. And whether it's having better collaborative space, they have to deliver because people are quitting their companies to go to other places to do the same work, but under different and better conditions. I, I, I think you have to bear in mind that um, organizations have you know, specific objectives and um, their concern for employee health and well-being will fit into those overriding um, objectives. And to the extent that health and well-being might affect, say, profit, that's the, you know, which is very important to organizations, um, it'll be recognized. And I, I, I think people are finding when they go back to work that life really isn't so different, you know, October, whatever, 2021, as, you know, it's really not that different in October, 2021 than it was in say, um, you know, 18 months, two years ago, because organizations measure their performance in consistent ways. So I think we can agree that the pandemic has opened up a new set of questions and whether we answer them in a different way than we did before the pandemic is to be seen. We have to wait to see what happens. But one thing we do know is that corporate real estate is a, a very important partner in the success of organizations going forward and their ability to partner with other experts who can help them create the right formula for 
what the workplace will look like, feel like, operate like will really be uh, an important way to build success for everyone in that situation for the for the tenants for the, for the professionals CRE professionals facilities managers and all the the staff within the organization that are responsible for people so we hope uh, people will consider what we've talked about today and think about how to reach out to their partners because I really think we both think that this is going to be a, a very important win-win in the future. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Sally. Sounds like there is a lot of new questions and possibly new answers to all questions. Um, and I want to thank both of you for sharing your thoughts. It's uh, you know it's great to be able to share this um, you know these insights and these perspectives with our members. So I definitely appreciate you both being available to do that.